Amazing grace. <laughs> then we'll go straight to Beth Roaster at that point, okay? We'll give you some time. We'll give you some time. All right. Amazing grace. Stay with me. Do not rush. Okay. Deidre, look up when you're ready. Ready? 
Well, good morning, everybody. It's great to welcome you to this very, very special chapel, our Society of World Changers Convocation. Worship band's a little different this morning, right? <laughs> it's great to have the ensemble, uh, this brilliant work you guys are doing. Thank you so much for, for leading us with those uh, selections. It's my delight to welcome you to the Society of World Changers Convocation. The public recognition and celebration of world changers has become part of the Indiana Wesleyan University experience. And this morning, in our 14th year to conduct this convocation, we honor Mr. Richard Stearns, one of our world's passionate advocates for those affected by poverty and injustice, and a faithful follower of Jesus Christ, who in his life and ministry is making his contribution to change the world. And as this un convocation unfolds, you'll begin to understand in the way in which God has called Mr. Stearns to change the world. I would like to recognize along with him as a guest today, his wife Renee and his son Peter are with us. Great to have both of you uh, with us here as well. Carissa Pierre is a sophomore studying strategic communication and theater. She grew up in Haiti as a missionary kid. She enjoys performing and partic partic participating in various student organizations, such as the International Student Association and the IW Theater Guild. Carissa will now lead us in the invocation. Bow your heads with me. Dear Lord, we give you praise and honor as we begin this convocation. As we gather to celebrate, I pray that this day be a day of reflection and that we remember the deeper meaning of this day, which is to continue to follow and glorify you in all that we do. We are so thankful. We are thankful to you and all those who have worked so hard to put this event together. We are thankful for strength and courage and peace that can only come from you, God. And we are thankful that you've chosen to work through us to widen your kingdom. God, I pray that you continue to use us as vessels in your work to change the world. As we gather to acknowledge what it means to follow your will, I pray that you speak in this time and soften our hearts to what you want us to hear. Almighty God, we pray these things in your glorious name. Amen. Please be seated. Many people ask me why we have a society of world changers at Indiana Wesleyan University and how do we choose the people we honor uh, as inductees into the society of world changers. You know, our heroes in our world change over time, don't they? As culture changes and as we change, as generations change, society changes, we hold up different people from time to time as uh, exemplars or as people whose lives exemplify the kinds of values and commitments that we hope for our own lives and for students here at Indiana Wesleyan University. You know, sometimes our heroes are action figures like Spider-Man and Captain America. <laughs> sometimes there are sports figures that we hold up as heroes. Sometimes they're entertainment figures. What we hope to do with a society of world changers is, over time, no matter about the changes that happen in our culture and our times, no matter how fads and different beliefs about what's valuable change over time, what we want to do in the Society of World Changers is hold up those people whose deep commitments rest on the gospel of Jesus Christ and who see themselves as taking the platform God has given them in their profession as an opportunity to share Jesus Christ and to share the gospel. We love people who are called to be missionaries and pastors of churches we also love it when God calls us to go out into the professions, into the world, and use the calling God has given us as a place to further the gospel. And so we look for world changers who are faithful to Jesus Christ, who know him personally. We look for world changers who use their profession as a place to model Christ's likeness and to preach the gospel through their actions. And we look for people who have been, who've raised, who've risen to positions of natural, national prominence as they've done that. So to tell us a little bit more about the Society of World Changers, we've got a little video for you to see. Let's look at that now. Mm -hmm. 
then my sister and I went out to this uh, beach, took a breath, deep dive, and bang. Starting where I started, I would have never dreamed of possibly coaching. There were no African-American coaches at all, so it didn't seem like a possible dream because it's something that never happened before. Author Bob Briner wrote in his book, Roaring Lambs, that Christians spend too much time hiding in cultural silos when they should be invading and occupying the world, embodying the spirit of Christ in all professions. Inspired by this vision and endowed by Lyle and Nell Reed, Indiana Wesleyan University created the Society of World Changers in 2003. Its purpose is to recognize role models who have exemplified the concept of world changers and whose lives serve as an inspiration to future generations. Each year, we celebrate a new inductee and add a bronze casting of their likeness to the Society of World Changers Hall of Honor in the rotunda of the Jackson Library. By God's grace, these men and women are bold examples of what it means to change the world for Jesus Christ and are known for being salt and light in the professional circles to which God called them. It does not matter how much money you acquire or the number of times you appear on the cover of a magazine. What does matter is this. If the Spirit of God is within you, and if you are full of His purpose and listening to His voice, then your life footprints will make an eternal impression stretching from your front door to the very ends of the earth. We know that ultimate good will triumph. So we showcase what that good will look like by rolling up our sleeves and practicing Christianity where the rubber meets the road and becoming a follower of Jesus Christ who delights in changing the world. You and I have been called to speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Speak up for the rights of all who are weak and needy. Our greatness is not in success, but in service. And the beautiful thing is, you friends don't have to break your neck to serve and become a world changer. Anyone can do it. With those dreams and, and with people helping you along the way and with God's guidance, you can do it. Whatever you choose to do, whatever direction you want to take in life, do it as representing the Lord. What has God given you? Moses had a stick, David had a slingshot, and Paul had a pen. Mother Teresa possessed love for the poor, Billy Graham, a gift for preaching, and Johnny Erickson Tata, a disability. What did they have in common? A willingness to let God use whatever they had, even when it didn't seem very useful. If you will assess what you have to offer in terms of your time, your treasure, and your talent, you will have a better understanding of how you might uniquely serve. Indiana Wesleyan University's Society of World Changers invites you to answer God's call to be a world changer. So on behalf of Indiana Wesleyan University, it's my privilege to introduce Mr. Richard Stearns as the 15th individual inducted into the Society of World Changers. The men and women identified as IW World Changers have left an indelible mark on our society and our Christian heritage. Richard Stearns holds a bachelor's degree in neurobiology from Cornell University and an MBA from the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. His professional career began in marketing with the Gillette Company in Boston. He then held various roles with Parker Brothers before becoming president in 1984. In 1985, he transitioned to the role of vice president for the Franklin Mint, and in 1987, he became president of Lennox Collections. Eight years later, he was promoted to president and CEO of Lennox Incorporated, overseeing three divisions, six manufacturing facilities, 4,000 employees, and 500 million in annual sales. If you've read his book, A Hole in the Gospel, you know what comes next. That God had a plan for Richard's life that he didn't necessarily realize was, was God's plan at that point in time. He left this lucrative business career in June of 1998, 
become the president of World Vision because of, as he says, an unexpected, irresistible call to exchange success for service to those affected by poverty and injustice. World Vision is a global Christian humanitarian organization actively giving health care, agricultural development assistance, clean water, education, disaster relief, and refugee care to millions throughout the world. They are the catalyst for millions of children receiving sponsorship providing a pathway out of a life of poverty. World Vision has a staff of 45,000 and operates in almost 100 countries. God was calling Richard to an even greater place of responsibility. Their mission is to follow the Lord Jesus Christ in working with the poor and oppressed, to promote human transformation, seek justice, and bear witness to the good news of the kingdom of God. Mr. Stearns is responsible for U.S. operations, which include advocacy, fundraising, and program development. Since coming under the leadership of Mr. Stearns, World Vision has experienced previously unprecedented growth. He has traveled to more than 40 of the nearly 100 countries where World Vision works and has a firsthand experience and understanding of the issues that affect the poor and the needy in our world today. He's appeared on CNN, Fox, ABC, NBC, PBS, and has written pieces for the Wall Street Journal, the Washington Post, and the Huffington Post. He's written two acclaimed books, The Hole in Our Gospel, What Does God Expect of Us, and Unfinished, Believing is Only the Beginning. Driven by his passion, Mr. Stearns has given attention to the urgent issues affecting the world's poor, such as HIV, AIDS, lack of clean water, and the refugee crisis. Drawing on his many years of experience working in development uh, with World Vision, Mr. Stearns has become a respected voice with Christian and secular audiences alike and strives to be a voice for the homeless, the voiceless in this world. As you've heard, Mr. Stearns is married to Renee and they have five grown children. It's a personal honor for me today and an honor for all of us to welcome Mr. Stearns to, to share with us a little bit that, about that journey and God's calling on his life. Friends, would you welcome Mr. Richard Stearns? Well, Mr. Stearns, I've drawn the privilege of interviewing you a bit today. And so I think uh, our correspondence is, you've called yourself Rich, is that okay? Yeah, call me Rich. All right, I'll call you Rich. I'm John, you know that. Uh, so we heard a little bit about World Vision, but I thought you maybe would like to tell us a little bit more about what World Vision is and what that you do and why it's so special to you. Well, you know, World Vision, sometimes we refer to our organization as God's army to change the world. So uh, a world changer ceremony is fitting for World Vision. Uh, our founder in 1950 was such a world changer. His name was Dr. Bob Pierce. And uh, Dr. Pierce um, uh, is most famous for his quote, let my heart be broken by the things that break the heart of God. Yeah. And uh, he just was brokenhearted over what he saw after the Korean War, the war orphans and the widows. And uh, he determined he was gonna do something about it. And he came back to Portland, Oregon with no money, no training. Uh, no expertise whatsoever in uh, relief and development. And he founded an organization called World Vision. You know, it wasn't just Korea Vision, but it was uh, World Vision. And at the time, he had no salary, he had no office. He had to borrow an office uh, in Portland from Youth for Christ. And, uh, but here, now 60-some years later, World Vision is a $2.7 billion organization as uh, Dr. Wright said, in 100 countries with 45,000 staff. And really our, our call and our passion is to uh, serve the poorest people in the world and to do it in the name of Christ uh, and to, uh, to try to see the world as God sees the world with our hearts broken by the things that break his heart. So that's what motivates. I, I have the privilege of serving with 45,000 dedicated staff who are all world changers. Yeah, great. Yeah. Thank you. I see your wife, Renee, sitting here. I got to meet her a little bit ago. Uh, tell us a little bit about your life, how you met. Yeah, so uh, the students will be interested in this. We got fixed up on a blind date uh, back in the day, and uh, 
it was actually one of those defining moments in my life. I didn't know it at the time. And uh, I think when I asked her out, you know, we hadn't even met each other. Uh, she turned me down and said, well, this is a bad idea going on on a blind date. I don't think I'm going to do it. And I said, well, your roommate said you would, and I had to talk <laughs> her into it. And I think I said something like, it's not like we're going to get married and have five children. It's a date. You know, it's a movie. And uh, uh, so anyways, but that evening was, was really significant because uh, you, you have to understand, um, you know, I was a senior. She was a freshman. Uh, I was an atheist, and she was a Christian. Hmm. Uh, I was from New York and she was from California, so we were on different poles uh, in every dimension. But that night, uh, she literally tried to lead me to Christ that night on the date, figuring she'd never see me again, so why not take her best shot, you know? And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, but I was having none of it that night. Uh, but it did lead to, a, a, you know, a really deep discussion that we had about values and faith and the future. And I remember asking her, uh, uh, so what are you going to be when you grow up and you get out of Cornell? And she said, oh, uh, God has called me to help the poor. Hmm. And I'm going to become an attorney and I'm going to serve the poor with their legal problems. And, uh, and I said something like, well, that's really admirable and what a great idea. And uh, she said, what about you? And I said, well, I'm going to become a CEO and make a lot of money. And she said, that's pathetic. Uh, <laughs> you know, what a pathetic life goal that is. And, uh, uh, but you know, um, uh, about a year later, I did become a Christian. It was kind of a prophetic evening. I did become a Christian about a year later with, uh, through her testimony, and I like to say a little help from C.S. Lewis and John Stott, uh, yeah. reading a, a number of books. Um, uh, I did become a CEO uh, a few years later, and uh, she did become an attorney to serve the poor in Massachusetts, where we lived at that time. And, uh, and guess who's helping the poor yeah. today all these years later yeah. because of the influence of, of my dear wife. So, uh, so watch out for those blind dates. They can yeah. literally be defining moments in your lives. So does she still think you're pathetic? <laughs> <laughs> She's had now 44 years to work on me. Okay. And uh, I'm a better man than I, than I was. So, That's uh, good. You know, you talk about another defining moment in your life. It was a phone call. Uh, would you talk about that? Well, yeah, so in 1998, you know, I did kind of experience the American dream. A um, uh, little bit of backstory, you know, I grew up in a pretty rough household. Uh, my, neither of my parents went to high school, and my dad was an alcoholic. He was on his third marriage, uh, three marriages, three divorces, bankruptcy. The bank foreclosed on our house. So I came out of a, a very unstable family uh, with no religious background really at all. And uh, so... In 1998, for me to be the CEO of, you know, a second nationally known company, uh, Lennox, Fine China, and Crystal, was a miracle. I mean, it was the American dream come true. You know, the, the poor kid makes good. And, and one day the phone rang in my office, and uh, uh, it was a, an executive recruiter who said he was doing the search for the new president of World Vision. And... Uh, and uh, and I remember th this kind of very vividly in my mind because I knew this was a dangerous phone call because for what I was feeling is that, you know, God is speaking to me on the other end of this hmm. phone call. And I didn't want to leave the American dream. I didn't want to quit my job, sell my house, move my family, you know, to be a servant of the Lord. Uh, I was doing just fine with the American dream. And so... Uh, I kept trying to explain to him why I was not qualified. You know, I said, look, you're looking for somebody that's part CEO, part Mother Teresa, and part Indiana Jones. And I said, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I might be one of those three, but I'm probably not all three, and I'm the wrong candidate. And so I just kept trying to say, no, not available, not interested, not qualified. Um, and then he asked me a question that I'll never forget. He said, Rich, are you willing to be open to God's will for your life? What a nasty question to ask somebody, you know. Are you yeah. willing to be open to God's will for your life? And so uh, it kind of stopped me in my tracks, and I paused, and I said, well, of course I'm willing and I want to be open to God's will for my life, but I'm pretty sure this is not it, you know. <laughs> and, uh, and he said, well, have dinner with me, and let's find out. Mm -hmm. And so I grudgingly said, all right, I'll have dinner with you, but this is not going to happen, and, uh, you know, Three months later, I was accepting the job as president of World Vision, and we sold our beautiful house in Pennsylvania. I quit my American dream job, and we moved our 
uh, five squalling children to uh, Seattle, Washington, where the sun never shines and the, and the Mariners never win. And uh, <laughs> so, uh, <clears throat> but anyways, uh, and, and just to be clear, because the students might think, well, this guy is some kind of hero. Uh, I didn't want to take this job. I, you know, I, I was like Moses, Lord, here I am, send someone else, you know, yeah. don't send me. I don't want to be that guy that's a missionary to Africa. To, and uh, so it was kind of kicking and screaming that I came into this job. And ultimately, it, it was an act of obedience that at the moment had very little joy in it. You know, I didn't, I didn't want this. Mm -hmm. uh, but I decided to be obedient because when I did become a Christian, uh, those years earlier at the Wharton School, I made a promise to God. I said, I want to live my life for you, and I will follow you wherever you lead me, whatever the circumstances. That was the kind of the promise I made. And uh, 25 years later, it wasn't so easy to say, yeah, I'm going to make good on that promise. But, um, but that's what God requires of us, yeah. I think. Yeah. Well, as head of World Vision, you've had a ringside seat to see what God's do doing in the world and I'm wondering if you might talk to us a little bit about what you see happening in the world today and uh, how yeah. World Vision might make a difference there. Well, you're right that we do have a ringside seat. And, and one of the privileges that I have uh, because of my position is uh, I get to go all over the world to see what's happening in the world. Mm -hmm. And what I like to be able to see is can I see the world as God sees the world? You know, can I see what breaks his heart, what lifts his spirits, uh, uh, what do we see in the world? And of course, World Vision tries to bring those stories back to, uh, to provoke uh, the church, right? Yeah. To provoke the church with the things that break the heart of God. And so today, uh, the most heartbreaking thing in the world is the refugee crisis. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I've, I've gotten to be a little bit of a thundering prophet on the refugee crisis because uh, I've been there three times. I've been to Iraq, Jordan, um, and Lebanon to meet with the refugees. My wife has gone with me to uh, go into some of those refugee camps and hear their stories. 80% of them are women, children, and the elderly. Um, they've lost everything because of the violence in the Middle East, and they are desperate for a helping hand. They are just desperate. There are 12 million people that are displaced uh, out of Syria and another 3 million out of Iraq, and it's just on a scale that's unimaginable, 15 million homeless people uh, over the last six years in that region. And what's been troubling to me, uh, John, is the political rhetoric in the United States is a rhetoric of fear and exclusion, right? Mm -hmm. uh, we fear them, we don't want them, uh, and, and sadly, many, many churches don't even want to help them where they are. And so I get my dander up a little bit and put on my prophetic voice, and I've spoken this last year, I think I spoke at 59 events in 25 cities, mostly to church leaders and pastors, but I've preached at churches, I've spoken to donors. And what I'm trying to show them is that Christ died for these people. Mm -hmm. Christ died for these people. How can we turn a cold shoulder to them? And we've let our own fear, you know, one of the things I said, um, because of our own fear, and I understand that there's fear in the United States, but we've somehow taken the suffering of 15 million people and made it all about us instead of mm. all about them, right? And I can't find the passage in the Bible where the Lord said, don't ever take a risk for your faith. Yeah. You know, I can't find that passage. If you can, let me know. But so this thing has really captured my heart. Um, uh, I also think it's one of, the, one of the most amazing opportunities, maybe once in 100 years, do we have an opportunity to demonstrate the gospel in action in the bullseye of the Islamic world to mm -hmm. show them the love of Christ uh, in tangible ways. And so I continue to provoke and call the church uh, to come to the front lines to respond to this crisis. But so when you're someone who provokes people, sometimes you get critics. Uh, what have you learned from your critics? What have you learned from criticism? How do you manage yourself and all that? That question wasn't on the list that it he was wasn't. supposed to ask me. You know, yeah. So he's, he's put me on my... Well, uh, you know, there are critics, and, and, you know, one thing you learn is you've got to have a thick skin, because uh, World Vision has a million donors in the United States, um, and it almost doesn't matter what I say or what we do, there's always somebody that doesn't like it. You know, mm -hmm. they don't like what you've said or done, and they'll, they'll call into the call center, they'll cancel their sponsored child, they'll, they'll do something, you know, that is, uh, is critical. 
Um, I think it's important to listen to critics. You know, you, you, usually critics have a valid point of view and you want to try to understand where they're coming from uh, so that you can uh, better respond and understand what, what their issues are or what their concerns are and you can address those concerns sometimes. Um, but I, I think, you know, you have to have a thick skin and the Old Testament prophets were a cranky bunch of old guys. You know, they were, they were cranky. They were pointing their finger at the, at the nation of Israel and the leaders of Israel. They weren't the most popular. And I think one of the difficult things when you're bringing hard messages to the church or to the public is um, you're not going to be all that popular sometimes. You know, you're going to have to be countercultural and challenge the status quo and the current thinking in the culture um, and, and what I try to find is I better be sure from Scripture that this is what God uh, wants us to say and wants us to do. And, you know, when we tackled the AIDS pandemic in the early 2000s, that was another one of those defining issues. And uh, you're all too young to remember, but the church was just really, AIDS was not something they had any interest in at that time. It, it was controversial. It was stigmatized. And uh, my own marketing people at World Vision said, we'll never raise money for this issue. The churches will never embrace this. So we should just pass, you know, mm -hmm. on this AIDS pandemic. And I remember saying, well, I'm sorry, but the church is wrong. And if we don't tell mm -hmm. them who's going to, you know, yeah. because what I read in James 1.27 is pure religion is this, to care for widows and orphans in their distress. And right now there are widows and orphans who are distressed in Africa and if we remain silent at such a time as this, we'll be kind of like the challenge of Esther. Uh, God will raise up deliverance for these people from another place. So we have to be bold and we have to speak. Well, I have a bunch of questions I'd love to ask you, but there is a time limit on today. And so maybe we could uh, kind of draw our time together uh, to a close by um, this question maybe. We have students here and um, their life sits ahead of them, they're involved in life now. What advice would you give to IWU students seeking God's will for their lives? Yeah. Well, you know, believe it or not, I can remember being a student and uh, wondering what trajectory my life would take. And first of all, I want you to be encouraged by my crazy career. So a degree in neurobiology, an MBA in marketing, selling shaving cream for Gillette, then president of Parker Brothers, Nerf balls, Nerf guns, Monopoly games, video games, fine china and crystal, luxury goods for the wealthy, and then finally at age uh, 47, God said, now I've got something else I want you to do, mm -hmm. you know. But here's the lesson in that. Um, I tried to serve Christ in all of those jobs and to be a missionary in the workplace wherever I worked. I tried to make myself available to be used by God, and, uh, but it wasn't until my middle age years that he called me to something, I think, very unique and special at World Vision. And, and I think the moral of the story is your careers will take many twists and turns. Uh, I tell my own kids, a career is a very long time, uh, mm. typically. And uh, you, God is still writing your stories. So if you think you know what you're going to be when you grow up, you're probably wrong. Uh, and uh, just when you think the story is resolved and this is what I'm going to be for the rest of my life, you're probably wrong there as well. And God will use every one of you uh, with one condition. You have to be available to be used and willing. You have to be willing to hold whatever you have uh, lightly in your hands and say, Lord, I, I'm willing to lay it down at your feet. Um, if you become a professor, uh, maybe God will say, that's great, but now I'm calling you to something else. So will you let go of your tenured professorship and, uh, and follow me? If you become a business executive or you know, whatever uh, the Lord leads you through, it ain't over till it's over. And uh, our calling is a lifelong calling. And, and here's the thing I would leave you with. God don't make the mistake of believing that God uses only extraordinary people uh, to change the world. God uses ordinary people to change the world. He uses people who are willing to be obedient and to serve. And if you're willing and, uh, to be obedient and to serve, he will use you as a world changer. Great. Thank you very much, Richie. All right. Thanks, John. Blessings.
Thank you very much, uh, Rich and John, for, the, for that conversation. Before we came out here, my prayer was that God would push us into the background, even someone as accomplished as Rich, and that through these words, he would lift himself up. And that the work that God is doing in this world to extend the gospel of Jesus Christ, to make the kingdom of God a reality in this world, that that's what would really come through. So Rich, thank you for giving the emphasis in the right place this morning to the Lord Jesus Christ and his lordship. Well, you know, you all, just like me, we all walk by those busts uh, over there in the rotunda of the library. Uh, you know, every week we go through there. And library is one of my very, very favorite places on, on this campus. And uh, so now we get to see a new one, unveil a new one. So Rich, would you join me here as we, uh, uh, with Carl Shepard, our, our board chair, will unveil this. So we'll add this bust uh, to the, uh, the one over there by the, uh, uh, by the others that have lined up. Fifteen people now that we've honored in this, uh, uh, in this way. And you know, you've heard, we hear this often. We, we kind of walk by those busts and it's easy for us to, uh, to not pay much attention to them. And uh, we might think of them as far off people that, uh, you know, they, they've achieved, they've, they've made it. They have money, they have wealth, they have privilege, they have standing, they have authority. But I don't think we've had a single one that I've been a part of who said, when I was a student, I had no idea God would bring me to the place where I am. And for me, I want to remind myself, and I would invite you as we walk through that rotunda and we see these busts and we see Rich's bus there this time, that we'll remember that God uses, what did you call it? Available people? Ordinary and available people. Ordinary and available people. And that's you and me. And God is going to use us to change. Well, that's the whole point of that rotunda. That God's going to use all of us in ways like he's used Rich. So God, God bless you, Rich and Renee. Thank you so much.
Wow, you guys want to do that again? <laughs> Fantastic. Rich and Renee, these are some of the brightest, finest students you will ever see in the world and the greatest faculty. We're so proud of them. Thank you so much for all that you do to make this such a special place. And we want to we wanna now honor uh, Rich Stearns with an honorary degree. Would you come and join me here, please, uh, Rich, and, and our board chair, Carl Shepard, as well. So you've heard the remarkable story of one of God's servants who's pursued him in every aspect of his life. And so today, we honor you, Mr. Richard Stearns, for your willingness to obey God's call, no matter what the cost, for your commitment to tackle the causes of poverty and social injustice, for your Christ-like servant leadership of world vision and its work to meet the needs of the poor, the mistreated, and the voiceless people of this world, for your exemplary life, which has modeled what it means to be a faithful follower of Christ and willing even to face criticism to speak the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So now by the authority vested in me by the Indiana Wesleyan University Board of Trustees in the state of Indiana, I confer upon you the degree Doctor of Social Work, in token of which I cause you to be vested with the appropriate academic hood and present you with this parchment of documentation. Congratulations, Rich. Thank you. Dr. Grace Miller, Professor of Biology and Chair of the College of Arts and Sciences faculty, will now offer our benediction. Dr. Miller grew up in the Philippines. She studied botany and art at Duke University and received a master's degree in agronomy from the University of California, Davis, and a PhD in horticulture from Purdue University. If you haven't had a chance to go up to her lab and, and see some of her research, there you are, Grace. Uh, you should do that. Some really interesting stuff that she's doing with her students uh, up there. In 2013, Dr. Miller joined IWU as a professor of biology, and she shares with her students a passion to invest in and learn through God's creation. She also serves as the chair of the College of Arts and Sciences faculty. It's just a delight to have Grace as our colleague and friend here at Indiana Wesleyan University. Following the benediction, I would ask that you, the audience, please be seated during the recessional until it's completed. Grace, come and lead us in the benediction. <clears throat> Let's pray. Lord, help us to see the world with your eyes, to never grow callous or indifferent to the suffering, to the refugees, to the malnourished women and children in the world. Soften our hearts and help us to show mercy as we have received mercy. Help us to love as you have loved us. Help us not to lose hope, for in us is the hope of Christ. Let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Change us, O oh Lord, so we can change the world. And if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. <clears throat> 